Welcome to Leonard Lopate at Large. I'm Leonard Lopate. President Biden's plan to finance two trillion dollars, two, yeah, $2 trillion in, in federal infrastructure spending has touched off a, a new battle in Washington that centers on the White House's decision to try to raise rates on major U.S. corporations and unwind some of the core tax cuts adopted under President Trump in 2017. And the White House also seeks other tax increases and policy tweaks to ensure companies don't dodge their bills domestically by shifting their profits abroad. Republicans are objecting to the price tag. Before any new legislation is written, I would suggest that they read a new book called the Wealth Hoarders, How Billionaires Pay Millions to Hide Trillions, is written by Chuck Collins and published by Polity Books. Uh, Mr. Collins, a senior scholar at the Institute for Policy Studies in Washington, D.C., where he directs the program on equality and co-eds inequality.org, joins us now. Welcome to our show. Hi, Leonard. Great to be with you. Before he took office, President Biden wrote in Foreign Policy magazine that corporate corruption is a threat to national security. He wrote, quote, I will lead efforts internationally to bring transparency to the global financial system, go after illicit tax havens, seize stolen assets, and make it more difficult for leaders who steal from their people to hide behind anonymous front companies. And then more recently, he said in 2019, an independent analysis found that there were 91 Fortune 500 companies that used various loopholes to pay zero dollars in federal income taxes on U.S. income. That's wrong, and we'll put an end to it with the Made in America tax plan. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming that you were pleased by all of that. Yeah, that's that's not bad uh, for the senator who represented uh, the state of Delaware, Delaware for 36 years, yeah. uh, which is kind of the the weak link in our own uh, wealth hiding system. But yeah, I think I think it's promising because we're really not going to be able to raise revenue at all from the wealthy if this wealth hiding apparatus is in place. So it's great that he's saying that. We'll get to Delaware in just a moment. Uh, I always thought that Americans who wished to hide their money went to offshore tax havens like Switzerland, the Cayman Islands, Panama, Bermuda. Did things change uh, in 2009 when the Obama administration made it harder for US citizens to hide money in foreign banks with laws like the Foreign Accounts Tax Compliance Act and, and then entered into international treaties to require global banks to meet US reporting standards? Yeah, that's exactly right, Leonard. You know, it, the, the image of the Swiss bank account where you didn't have to disclose the owner is a little outmoded now. Uh, yeah. You know, U.S. citizens wishing to hide their money. Uh, Swiss banks now have treaties with the U.S. to, to report on, on depositors. And many European countries have agreements among themselves to disclose, you know, uh, the, the, who owns bank accounts and and and. and report that information back to the US government. What's interesting is the US government is kind of the laggard. We don't have a reciprocal understanding with those countries. So now illicit wealth, uh, you know, Russian oligarchs and wealth hiders are bringing their money here to the United States. We're, we're, we're the weak link now. And haven't we become the world's second largest tax haven, uh, accounting for over 21% of offshore global services for money hiding and illicit wealth storage? Yeah, and, that, and, and we, we got that ranking from Tax Justice Network, uh, their secrecy index. Uh, only the Cayman Islands is more porous than the United States. And, that, and that's directly because of our, some of our states like Delaware and South Dakota that, that kind of um, have very low standards, let's put it that way. Because it's all made possible by a federalist system of government. So each that's state right. can make its own, uh, set its own rules. Yeah, you know, the, the sort of race to the bottom uh, between states as to who will have the, the lowest standards. Uh, Delaware for non-disclosure of ownership, uh, who's really behind a company. Uh, South Dakota for creating a dynasty trust to sequester your wealth for centuries. Um, you know, the, the, the only fix really is probably a federal overriding fix that, that basically... Um, takes away the state's competitive disadvantages with each other. Well, hasn't Delaware, as you point out, been a major go-to destination for tax dodgers and money launderers for quite a while? How long 
How far back does this go? It probably goes back to the DuPonts, uh, you know, and in 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 the way in which Delaware was, was formed, really to facilitate uh, commerce at the high, you know, the, the, the large companies. Um, they've always had a very corporate friendly uh, judicial system. Uh, they have always had these uh, l- limited liability companies where uh, you can call an 800 number and create an anonymous corporation in eight minutes. And, wow. you know, it's, it's particularly attractive if you're trying to hide the identity of the owner. So that's why you have, you know, sex trafficking websites and uh, lawyers for the former president who are trying to pay hush money and, uh, you know, other criminal enterprises love Delaware limited liability companies because they, they not only have privacy, they have complete secrecy from law enforcement. So it generates $1.3 billion in direct annual revenue for Delaware, which is about 28% of the state's budget. And as you point out, it has a very corporate-friendly judiciary, the Delaware Chancery Court, which rejects challenges to corporate rules. And that, that would make it all legal, wouldn't it? <laughs> that's, that's right. Um, you know, and I think that, they, that Delaware as a state uh, raises probably half their, their state revenue uh, from various forms of, of corporate registration fees and collecting from accounts that people haven't claimed. Uh, you know, they, they call themselves the first state, but I call them the first freeloader state. Uh, they're, they're not raising money f- from their own citizens. And in a way, that's probably the attraction. Everybody looks, uh, agrees to sort of look the other way because their taxes are so low. And so nearly one half of all U.S. corporations are registered in Delaware. And there are now, uh, as you point out, more corporations than people there, 1.3 million entities in a state with a population of 960,000. No, it's, it's uh, you know, it's remarkable. I mean, it, given that, it's kind of significant that their state attorney general uh, supported some important uh, reforms at the federal level. Uh, at the end of of uh, 2020, Congress passed something called the Corporate Transparency Act, which kind of gets at what we're trying to fix here. It it, it says corporations need to disclose who their beneficial owners are. We're still ironing out how that law is going to work, and it it excludes trusts and partnerships. So I'm sort of worried that the wealth hiders will will manipulate the system, but but it's a step in the right direction. And well, the over fact that Delaware, uh, you know, kind of was embarrassed enough to admit that there was something broken is is meaningful. Still, over half of those corporations are limited liability companies. What are they? It's a form of ownership. It's different than a sort of corporate form, but it's essentially a form of a company. Um, and that it's not that unusual that you know most state, all states have you can incorporate what's called a limited liability company so that, you know, if, uh, if my house burns down, uh, and it's owned by an LLC, you know, you, 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 you know, you can only be sued for what happened at that property. It limits the liability, but it's become, uh, a form of hidden, hidden activity. And that's where an illicit activity, and that's where it's troubling. One of the more, Shocking statistics is that uh, this address in Wilmington, 1209 Orange Street, is a mail drop for over 285,000 companies. Yeah, uh, it goes to show that the, the, the corporations themselves don't have to have mm-hmm. a physical office or presence. They just need a mail drop. Uh, similarly, in the Cayman Islands, there's there's one building called Ugland House that is home to some 40,000 corporations uh, globally are incorporated there. So you sort of see that all you need is a mail slot uh, and an address, and they provide that service. And you mentioned South Dakota. In in the 1980s, South Dakota, which has no state income tax, repealed uh, rules that put a, a time limit on trusts. Instead of being forced to liquidate a trust after a certain number of years, the state allowed rich families to continue to hide their money. Um, how does that work? Yeah, well, typically, uh, as you imply, a, tr- a trust has to terminate, usually within a lifetime and a half. 
And uh, there's an old archaic rule called the rule against perpetuities. And it's basically saying, look, you just can't have agreements that tie things up forever. Um, and what happened is that the wealth uh, defense industry, you know, in a small state like South Dakota, they basically bought the legislature, to changed the law, uh, kind of made it a, uh, a state that could attract, um, you know, trusts. Similarly, did this very similar thing with uh, usury laws, you know, usury laws that would constrain how much interest you could charge. They repealed their state usury laws, and that's why all the credit card companies, when you mm -hmm. read the fine print, they're all based in South Dakota. So South Dakota sort of opened itself up, lowered its standards, and has provided these services for their financial industry. And it's really growing. You note that in 2010, South Dakota trust companies managed a total of $57 billion. Last year, that had grown to over $300 billion. Yeah, and they, you know, I mean, this is a tiny employer, but it's a, it's a, you know, now they're attracting uh, wealth from around the world uh, because one of the benefits is if you if you have a trust that can live for centuries, uh, and you're very and you're trying to build up sort of dynastic wealth, and you want to make sure that your great great grandchildren never have to work a day in their lives, then you want to create a dynasty trust incorporated in South Dakota. Uh, now, a couple other states are trying to get into the business, Wyoming and Alaska, uh, and they're all just, you know, again, just lowering their standards as low as possible. But South Dakota takes the cake because they basically promise never to reveal the identity of the trust owners. Uh, that Those uh, dynasty trusts are something that you're familiar with, right? You begin your book by describing your own experiences in this area. You came into a $500,000 inheritance when you were 25 years old? Yeah, part of, part of my interest in this topic is I, I, I grew up in a wealthy family, um, and I kind of got an intimate front row seat into this whole uh, way in which wealthy families kind of have their own set of rules, if you will, when it comes to uh, paying taxes and creating trusts. And there's all these trusted advisors and bankers and trust officers and family offices that all are exist to help wealthy families keep accumulating their wealth and then pass it on to the next generation. You now, call I've it heard, the wealth I've, defense industry. Yeah. And it's not me. I mean, that's a term that, uh, a number of social scientists have used over the years. Uh, uh, Jeffrey Winters, a social scientist has talks about how in an oligarchy, in a society that's controlled by the wealthy, uh, very wealthy people invest in wealth defense. They, they hire this, this uh, army of tax attorneys and um, accountants and wealth managers, and they create family offices for this purpose of defending wealth against taxation and accountability generally. Um, so it's, and, and what I've noticed though, is just in my lifetime, just how much it's grown, how it's really mushroomed as inequality has also grown. So what did the wealth advisors who help rich families manage their money and assets recommend to you well, what they, as, well, what as they, the inheritor of Oscar Mayer, the Oscar Mayer fortune, or at least part of it? Yeah, well, I, I wasn't Fortunately or unfortunately, I wasn't in the in the dynasty category there. I would mm -hmm. be considered sort of small potatoes, but I could see, you know, watching uh, in a, in my extended family and and certainly other wealthy families that I became acquainted with, what what these wealth managers do is they sit down and they say, look, uh, you know, let here's a here's the menu of things we're we're going to create a trust where. Uh, you are the beneficiary or your children are the beneficiary and we're going to take that wealth and put it in a trust and we're sort of going to put it into a form of ownership limbo. So if anybody says who owns this wealth, nobody's going to raise their hand because it's in a kind of trust limbo state. We also might take some of your wealth and put it in a bank account in another country in a secrecy jurisdiction where the banks don't have to report. Uh, and we might create a couple shell companies and probably we'll do some combination of all those things so that we have a number of layers of protection and sort of a number of shells in the shell game. And we can create transactions between these entities 
that you can say are actually business tra transactions and that will lower your taxes. So you're gonna lower your income taxes, your estate taxes, which is our national inheritance tax. And you, you may also put some of that in a charitable foundation, uh, take a big tax break, but then keep that money in your foundation as another extension of your influence and power. So and you tell a funny things, story. You tell a funny story about two elderly women who were highly critical of you when they learned that you planned to donate your inheritance to charities. Well, if you look at it from this perspective of, you know, the goal in life is to accumulate and pass on wealth, they were alarmed that I was going to, and this is the phrase of the wealthy, touch the principle, you know, uh, touch the, the assets, the corpus of the wealth. Uh, you know, you can do quirky things with the income, you can give it away, you can invest it, but don't touch the principle, don't touch the assets. And if you do that, you're, you're kind of taking wealth away from future generations. That's, that's how they viewed it. And I viewed it as like, this is a weird system. And I don't think it's a good thing for both children to have unlimited inheritances. And I don't think it's a good thing for society to have these wealth dynasties. So I, I sort of got off the merry-go-round, if you will. My guest on Leonard Lopate at Large here on WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org is Chuck Collins, whose latest book is The Wealth Hoarders, How Billionaires Pay Millions to Hide Trillions. It is published by Polity Books. The IRS estimates that the top 100% of households failed to report about 21% of their income. Uh, and, you, and that's because they, this army of, of tax attorneys, accountants, and wealth managers have uh, been able to uh, find ways to hide it? Yes, absolutely. And, and I would say that is the tip of the iceberg because they're just talking about income. Uh, what I'm digging into is wealth, assets, and even the income that comes from wealth. And that's where uh, the, the real gaming comes in. Uh, you know, most of us are used to, uh, getting taxes taken out of our paychecks, withholding. Uh, you know, we're, we're paying our taxes on a on a paycheck by paycheck basis. But the but the super wealthy, because their income is not coming from wages, it's coming from investments and capital and other sources, have way more opportunities to kind of game the system. And you, uh, they hide billions. Uh... Uh, by deploying anonymous shell companies, family offices, offshore accounts, opaque trusts, sham transactions. So as a result, do the world's richest people pay next to no taxes? We, we absolutely don't know. Um, we, we know that the tax uh, obligations of the wealthy keep going down. We know that, for instance, billionaires, to the extent the IRS can track this, pay uh, an effective tax rate closer to 23% on all of their income and wealth, which is lower than a lot of professionals, a lot of teachers and nurses and the like. So uh, we know that they're, whatever taxes they're paying is significantly lower than it would have been, say, under President Dwight Eisenhower, where when taxes were quite progressive. Um, but yeah, we, we, you know, I think we're, we're seeing as a trend of steadily declining taxes on the wealthy. And I, I guess it's obvious, but when the rich pay less, the rest of us are picking up the slack and paying more, or we're seeing budget cuts and kind of phony austerity leading to service cuts. So it, it, it's the reason we should care is this is, a, this is shifting tax obligations off the rich and onto everyone else. So are, are shell companies uh, incorporated in Delaware and trust companies in South Dakota the most common devices being used these days? They certainly are within the United States. Um, once you've created an anonymous shell company or a trust, then you can go on and purchase other assets and own them anonymously. So the, the money is, is, is maybe just in that luxury real estate building down the street in New York. Uh, we happen mm -hmm. to know uh, luxury real estate is one of the places wealthy people are parking their money, as well as art and jewelry and other asset classes, as they call them. Uh, according to the, the New York market. Times, according to New York Times, 54% of real estate purchased in New York City by uh, for more than $5 million was acquired in the name of anonymous shell companies in 2014. In the six 
most expensive condo projects in the city. The owners in a majority of units were hidden by shell companies, including 77% of the units in 157 and 69% of the units at the plaza. And the value of the 900 condominiums in, in, in six buildings was equal to the value of 20,000 average American homes. That's shocking. Yeah, and this is this is happening in all major metropolitan areas of the United States. I mean, New York is obviously a really attractive destination, but let's be clear, wealth mostly, these, these are empty units. Uh, I, I would call them wealth storage units, just like when you drive down the interstate and you see uh, American storage units mm -hmm. uh, where people have their extra stuff. This is uh, a form of wealth storage. And if you are a Russian oligarch or a you know, an African dictator, have you stolen money from your own people? Uh, or a Saudi you know, prince. Or a Saudi prince, in, in the case of <laughs> Boston and New York recently. Uh, you you sanitize the money, as they say. You, you sort of run it through a shell company somewhere. But then where does it go? You know, it's not literally sitting on some Caribbean island. It's in real estate. It's in real property. It's down the street in that tower that you're looking up at right now. Um, so, so that's one of the attractive destinations for global uh, illicit funds. And hasn't Delaware been called the largest source of anonymous shell entities in the world? Yeah, no, it, it, it really is. And, you know, while other countries are sort of cracking down on this whole idea of an anonymous company, uh, Delaware, you know, continues to do this. And, all, and, and, and really, all we're asking is that if you own a corporation, you have to have the same level of disclosure as if you're getting a library card, right? So <laughs> you go to the New York Public Library and you say, I'd like a library card. They say, well, what's your name? You say, well, I'm not gonna give you my name. <laughs> well, where do you live? Well, I'm not gonna tell you. Well, sorry, you can't borrow books from the New York Public Library. We need to know who you are and where you live. And uh, all we're asking is for the library card level of disclosure, which seems quite reasonable given that these companies have so much power and wealth. So it's easier to set up a shell company than to register to vote in Georgia? <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> it's infinitely easier. It's, it's, uh, it's easier than getting a fishing license or a library card and certainly uh, registering to vote in certain states. And you mentioned earlier that some of the, uh, the companies are engaged in criminal activities. Uh, Backpage.com, which was known as the world's top online brothel, a website that was involved in nearly three quarters of the 10,000 child trafficking reports uh, received annually by the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. And El Chapo is in, is in Delaware, was in Delaware, and, and Bernie Madoff, and who else? Yeah, a, let's Adelson. just say it's quite, quite an honor roll of, of shame. And, and it's funny because that is in some ways what has embarrassed the state of Delaware. You have all these, these religious leaders in Delaware saying, how come our state is the uh, you know, premier corporate destination for sex trafficking operations? Why, why do they come here to avoid uh, law enforcement? And I think that that level of embarrassment and, and public shame is beginning to crack, I think, you know, even the hard-nosed hard uh, wealth defenders of Delaware are having a hard time justifying some of those behaviors. You mentioned that uh, some of the people involved in the Trump administration uh, have used it. Didn't Robert Mueller find that Paul Manafort and Rick Gates deployed nine Delaware LLCs and corporations to hide millions in payments between Ukrainian and U.S. officials? Yep, that's right. Uh, you know, the, the famous Mueller report uh, disclosed and uh, the, the tracing of these, these Delaware-based companies. We know that Michael Cohen, uh, uh, Trump's fixer, used mm -hmm. Delaware cor a Delaware company to pay off uh, Stormy Daniels, the, the uh, uh, hired... Uh, how do we well, how do we refer to her? She 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 worked for Trump uh, <laughs> under the table. So uh, intimate so, friend, yeah, intimate friend. Yeah. Um, so the hush money payments came through a Delaware limited liability company. So uh, there's no and and the, this is what we know about because uh, either some lawsuit or some criminal uh, prosecution cracked open the secrets. But there's probably lots of things we don't know about because of the secrecy. 
Is it, is it, does it continue to grow? Has the pandemic had an impact? The signs are, and, 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 you know, and of course this pandemic has been so hard on so many people economically and in terms of health and loss of life. We know that the billionaire class has just thrived under this pandemic. Uh, the 660 billionaires in the United States have seen their wealth go up, you know, $1.3 trillion. And we've been sort of monitoring the chatter, if you will, within the wealth defense industry as they as they were anticipating the Biden presidency and the possibility of uh, Democrats having a majority in Congress, uh, that industry went into high alert, uh, notifying their clients, working with them to uh, move money out of uh, certain accounts and into these dynasty trusts, moving money offshore or moving money wherever. We, we of course, a lot of it's secret, so we don't know the exact details, but you could just tell from the seminars and discussions and the fact that these people were very busy working with very wealthy clients. Um, and I, I would akin it to, you know, hey, look, we've, we've had this, this uh, rough year. We've had, you know, under Trump, $7.8 trillion of additional deficit spending, including his $2 trillion tax cut for the rich. You know, we've run up a huge tab. At some point, the bill is going to come due and uh, America's rich are like slipping out the back door of the restaurant, trying to avoid the bill, and uh, and that's another reason why we should, you know, vigilantly move to shut down this hidden wealth system. Now it isn't just Delaware and South Dakota; other states also have gotten involved. Alaska, Nevada, uh, do they just have uh, less extensive approaches? Yeah, there's, they're 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 trying to compete. They're trying to capture a share of that uh, hidden wealth market, uh, that dynasty trust market, and so they have also, you know, their wealth defense industries have approached their state legislature. And by the way, these are typically small states with uh, you know voluntary legislatures. Uh, they don't have big populations, and so you know, a small industry can go to that legislature and say, "Hey, this will create 500 jobs in the wealth." management sector, you're not going to see these laws in states like New York or Massachusetts or California because, you know, those industries don't rule. They don't have as much power. But in a smaller state, they they make that case. So you've seen, you know, a couple dozen states now lower their standards. Um, But South South Dakota has a task force whose purpose is to always make sure they're one step ahead of everyone else in terms of lowering their standards. So uh, it's kind of like the setting the primary date for, uh, you know, around the country. It's like who, whoever, you know, whatever state proposes, they'll, they'll go lower. And mm-hmm. uh, that seems to be the game. We'll get back to South Dakota after we take a little break. You're listening to Leonard Lopate at Large on WBAI New York 99.5 FM and, and streaming live at WBAI.org. The best things in life are free, but you can give them to the birds and bees. I need money. That's what I want. That's what I want. That's what I want. That's what I want. Your love give me. We're back with Chuck Collins, whose latest book is the. Wealth Hoarders, uh, with a long subtitle, uh, How Billionaires Pay Millions to Hide Trillions. Uh, Mr. Collins is a senior scholar at the Institute for Policy Studies in Washington, D.C., where he directs the program on inequality and co-edits inequality.org. He's the author of a number of books uh, as well. Uh, this the most recent, but the one that just stuns me because so much of the information that you have here, I would have thought would have been general knowledge. And yet I'm learning it for the first time. Where, where has, uh, the New York times been, where has CNN been on this story? You know, part of it, Leonard, I think is that it's comp that some of this is complex and that is intentional. Uh, you know, we, we're all distracted by certain other kinds of public policy debates, whereas the, these, this wealth defense industry, uh, their bread and butter is creating very complicated 
institutions and, and, and tax dodges, piles of paper. They add enormous complexity to the tax code. And, you know, if you ask them, oh, you know, uh, what are you doing here? They'll say, well, we're just obeying the law. But in fact, they're actively rigging and writing the laws. They're going to states and lobbying for changes in, in, in policies. Uh, they're lobbying to stop enforcement and weaken the oversight offices. So, uh, you know, I, I think it's partly that it's below the radar. Uh, there's a lot of professionals whose livelihoods are locked up and depend on keeping this system working. Um, so my, my book is hopefully just trying to popularize some of the things that has been reported here and there, but put, put together the whole picture, if you will. You mentioned that one of the reasons most credit card companies are incorporated in South Dakota is that in 1980, the state eliminated its anti-usury laws that had been passed in the 30s to prevent loan sharks, predatory lending, and the charging of exorbitant interest rates. Uh, did they write, rewrite those trust laws at the behest of Citibank? Uh, yes, they did. Uh, and and. Um, there was a, a, a governor at the time, Bill Janklow. The more I learn about the guy, the, uh, he's, he's quite a fascinating character. But he, uh, you know, he 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 was approached by both trust officers for the wealthy and the credit card industry, and and basically saying, "Look, we can help revive your state, and uh, all you have to do is eliminate these, eliminate entirely your usury laws. So there's no uh, there's no cap." On interest rates, and and prior to that, there were literally laws saying companies, banks, credit card companies couldn't charge more than eleven percent or twelve percent. Uh, that was against the law, and they just repealed those laws. So that's why when you look at the fine print on your credit card, they're going to charge you twenty-two percent. That would have been illegal under the old anti-usury laws. You write about family offices in your book. What are they? Well, it's it, it's not surprising if people have never heard of them because they they're they're they exist uh, only with the wealthiest families form a family office and you know we've been talking about the wealth defense industry and the services they provide what very wealthy families do and I'm talking about people with like a quarter of a billion dollars or more in wealth is they bring all those services in house they they create their own family office to manage their tax planning, sometimes to manage their philanthropy and the like. And the thing though, is that family offices, their, their purpose is to accumulate family wealth and pass it on to the next generation. So they're sort of inherently in the dynasty building business. And there's um, a wide range of people with them. Uh, Oprah has one called the OW Management LLC. Uh, the Koch family uh, have one, right? Uh, uh, Theirs is called 1888 Management LLC. Uh, hedge fund manager William Ackman and Google co-founder Sergey Brin have one. And uh, the late Sheldon Edelson used a trust mechanism called a grant-retained annuity trust, a GRAT, to, to pass on $7.9 billion to his children and, and avoid $2.8 billion in gift and estate taxes. That, that's incredible. That's a lot of money. I mean, almost all the billionaires now have a family office. You know, they, they don't go to the bank and just work with the Fidelity Trust Department. They they have their own employees who do this. They are family offices are like the financial butlers to the super rich. And and one of the things that's where I I can measure the growth in this industry is you know, in the in early 1980s, maybe there were a thousand family offices around the world, mostly in the U.S., catering to sort of old wealth families. Now there are an estimated 10,000 family offices, wow. a thousand in London alone, uh, a rising hundreds growing in Asia, um, and they have become a kind of industry of their own. There are people who go to get a particular training just to work at these family offices. And in the United States, they've done a good job fending off regulation. They, 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 you know, under the Dodd-Frank effort to sort of clean up the banking and financial system, the family offices lobbied to be, you know, left alone. 
Um, so, but there's, you know, seven, $8 trillion of money uh, being managed by these family offices now. And, and what happens? They just don't, they can avoid paying taxes. Well, they and of the think of themselves as kind of like the or the office, the organizing uh, entity inside the family office. They're using the same tool, sort of toolbox, if you will. Uh, so th- they've just brought it in house, away from the spotlight, away from scrutiny. Um, and and some family offices are quite benign, and they you know they're not aggressively avoiding taxes, but so central to their mission is wealth preservation and taxes are the enemy of wealth preservation. You know, it used to be that the old saying was, you know, shirt sleeves, the shirt sleeves in three generations. Somebody makes a lot of money three generations later by the fact that they've had children and they've had grandchildren and they're paying their taxes, the wealth begins to disperse and they're not billionaires anymore. Well, what a family office is in the business of is arresting that process and ensuring that the perpetuation of dynastic wealth. So they're all about reducing and avoiding taxes. Another commonly used technique is transfer pricing. What is that? Well, we've been talking a lot about how the, how the individual rich avoid taxes, but there's a whole parallel universe for corporations. Uh, so global companies will, uh, have subsidiaries in lots of different countries and they will sort of move their money around and pretend to have earnings in one place or the other, depending on who is the lowest tax place. And here's an example. Uh, Let's say you're Nike uh, or Apple. You will take some of your intellectual property. Maybe it's the swoosh symbol from Nike or the Apple phone design and you will put that in a company, let's, let's have it owned by a company in, in Ireland. And then you will pay royalties, very large royalties. This is all just like internal bookkeeping. This is the transfer pricing. pricing. You'll send those royalties to Ireland, but lo and behold, Ireland doesn't tax royalties. So mm-hmm. every dollar you send there is tax-free. And it's all part of this larger corporate shell game. Uh, and this is what President Biden is trying to get at right now, his proposal is to invest $2 trillion in infrastructure, as you, as you said at the beginning of the show, and pay for it by closing down some of these shenanigans in the global tax system. Uh, and even Federal Reserve Chair Janet Yellen said, we should have a global corporate mm-hmm. minimum tax rate uh, so that this, this race to the bottom isn't happening between nation states. Uh, it's all trying to get at some of these games that corporations pay play. She she's called for that uh, to occur with uh, G twenty nations. Um, <laughs> is that where most of this stuff really takes place? Well, it's mar- it's where most of the global corporations are headquartered uh, for for reasons other than tax advantage. So yeah, the the uh, OECD the. The, the clubs of industrial countries are, if we can forge an agreement with all of those countries to say, look, there should be a corporate minimum. There should be a minimum corporate income tax. Uh, we shouldn't be playing countries off against each other. Uh, if these other little satellite island countries want to offer something, well, all right, but they're, they're not part of the, uh, the club anymore. They're not going to get trade and other treaty advantages. That, that will go, you know, 98% of the way towards shutting down these, these, these games. You mentioned uh, that transfer pricing has allowed companies around the world like Apple to dodge about 10% of corporate income taxes. That adds up, according to uh, your book, roughly $100 billion to $240 billion a year in U.S. taxes. Now, that's a big uh, difference, $100 billion to $240 billion. We really don't know. We, we, you know, there, uh, there's, there's some recent studies actually showing it's, it's probably higher than that because under the Trump tax cut, which passed in 2017, the effective rate that corporations are now paying is now it's closer to 11%. And there's some 50 companies among the, the Forbes, five, the, the, the top 100 companies who paid 
no taxes in mm. 2019. Uh, so we're, we, we, you know, a Amazon. whole new, a whole new generation of yeah, Amazon, which is uh, one of well, I think the second largest uh, company in America. Yeah, and these these are some of the these are not you know companies that are suffering. These are some of the most profitable countries. Netflix, which is obviously mm. done quite well. Zoom, which you know uh, many of us are talking a lot on Zoom mm. these days. Zoom paid no income taxes in 2020. Wow. Um, so even the biggest pandemic profiteers uh, are not paying or are paying like less than 1% of their income in corporate taxes. The problem is I can't personally uh, start boycotting all these places. They're all a part of my life. In fact, we are talking, we are using Zoom right now in this conversation. Yeah, no. And, and that's, that's in some ways why they have been so profitable during the pandemic is because uh, you know, we've we've come to depend on them, and along with all the online cloud-based technologies. You know, we're we're entirely dependent on them. Uh, it's probably time to start thinking about well, maybe we should have a public authority, a public video mm-hmm. conferencing authority, or uh, you know, why, why is it's it's as essential as electricity? Uh, why wouldn't we have uh, regulated utilities governing the use of some of these technologies? Uh, obviously, that's 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 a discussion for for the next. The next couple of years, I think. Another uh, couple you cite, Robert Osterland and his wife owned 40 internet companies, a Cessna jet, a $30 million yacht, three homes worth many millions of dollars, and yet their names could be traced to virtually nothing of value. That's right. Uh, they were able to hide it all? Yes. Uh, and and that, that really came to light when they got a divorce and Mrs. Ostrand realized uh, that uh, her ex-husband had taken all the money and siphoned it away, and that she couldn't, that she couldn't get any uh, fi- financial support upon her divorce. So uh, there's actually a terrific New York Times expose by Nicholas Confessori called "How to Hide Four Hundred Million Dollars." <laughs> wow! And it's about that that divorce, and the only reason we know about it is because they went to court, and uh, in the end, even even when they were trying to hide it all. Uh, in, in in the Cook Islands, you know, which are these little this little rock outcropping, and you know, near New Zealand, you know, they in the end it all came to light because of a divorce case. Uh, but yeah, they basically had everything owned in shell companies. Isn't it estimated that the global total of hidden wealth is as much as thirty-two trillion dollars? Yes, that could pay the, the for tax, a lot of infrastructure. That that's right. The Tax Justice Network estimates some. 10 to 12 percent of the world's wealth is hidden uh, in these offshore and hidden wealth systems. And we're, we're not talking about, you know, Uncle Joe and his money in the mattress. We're talking about people with 30 million dollars or more, the, the super, the ultra high net worth households. Um, and that's globally 32 to 36 trillion dollars is the number that people are estimating now. I'm talking with Chuck Collins on Leonard Lopez at Large on WBAI New York 99.5 FM, streaming live at WBAI.org. His latest book is The Wealth Hoarders, How Billionaires Pay Millions to Hide Trillions. Uh, and it is published by Polity Books. Um, you, well, you end your book by outlining a, a set of policies that democratic nations can implement to shut down the wealth defense industry. Uh, But you're saying democratic nations. uh, Are the Cayman Islands a a democratic nation? Well, they they would probably say they are. My my focus, though, is I, I think if the United States cleans up its own house and then we go over to the United Kingdom, who who is also they're a little bit further ahead, in terms of cracking down on the hidden wealth system and go to the other European Union countries, if we got together and said, look, let's form a, a global transparency tax regime, kind of like what uh, Fed Reserve Chair Janet Yellen is proposing, that will go a huge distance because the, the other countries will, will want to come along if they want to join the, 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 the commerce of nations, you know, uh, Belize, little Belize, 
uh, is a debtor's paradise. If you're a deadbeat, if you have a company and you've ripped off your customers or you're trying to rip off your ex-spouse, you put your money in a trust and you have it run through Belize. How long do you think Belize would maintain that system if the United States says, well, we're, we, we're not going to do trade with you anymore. We're not going to have, have a currency exchange. We're not going to um, uh, send tourists. We're going to discourage tourists from going to Belize. How long before Belize uh, rejoins the nations that have transparency? Not, but, but, most but most of these countries... I was to say, most of these countries have these tiny little wealth defense industries that make, you know, what is it? Tiny sliver of the population that actually benefits from the system. And uh, they're not going to stand by if it's going to affect the whole, the trade with the rest of the world. So uh, we won't, we'll no longer see feeing is blazing if (laughs) things change. Um, (laughs) Sorry. Um, you mentioned the uh, the passage of the Corporate Transparency Act last December. Should we be surprised that that occurred with uh, when Donald Trump was president and Mitch McConnell was still running the Senate? Because it was we, a bipartisan act. Yeah, I think we can be pleasantly surprised. But it also it shows how uh, that this became kind of a transpartisan issue because the law enforcement community really got involved. I mean, if you're, you know, the FBI and you're trying to track down, you know, money laundering in the Ozarks, any of us who've watched the TV show Ozarks know, you know, the FBI is trying to catch these criminals, these drug cartels that are running their money through the Ozarks. You know, they hit the, they hit that uh, Delaware limited liability company and it's the, the search is over. They, They hit the wall. And enough law enforcement people got involved, enough people who understand all this anonymous ownership of real estate is actually bad for local economies. They got involved. So it became kind of an interesting Republican-Democrat issue. It was attached to the National Defense uh, Authorization Act. Um, so, So it just goes to show that there's actually a pretty broad coalition of people who think this is bad and broken and should be shut down. Well, it required corporations and companies to disclose their beneficial owners to an arm of the Treasury Department. But aren't trusts and partnerships exempt from the law? Yeah. And to me, that's one of the weaknesses. Uh, There's still obviously a rule writing and regulation process. And the industry is going to be right in there trying to weaken and, and create dodges and loopholes around that. You can be sure the wealth defense industry will be fighting to make that law ineffective. And, uh, you know, I'm part of a national coalition that's working on the other side to push to make it have teeth and to include trusts and partnerships and and stay two steps ahead of the of the uh, tax dodgers instead of always lagging behind them. Senator Bernie Sanders has proposed a state tax reform legislation that would outlaw a number of abusive trusts and would impose higher rates on the larger estates and inherited wealth. And, and Representative Ro Khanna has introduced the Stop Cheaters Act legislation uh, to strengthen enforcement of tax rules and crack down on tax dodging by the wealthy. Uh, do you think they're likely to get bipartisan support? You know, it's interesting to see components of both of those legislation moving forward in, in very popular ways. Almost everyone agrees we have to enforce the existing laws and the internal revenue service uh, has been decimated by budget cuts. And also they've lost the people who know how these games work. You know um, it takes an investment to have people who can track and follow the money to do the so-called forensic accounting, to understand, you know, how the wealth defense industry is using these different trusts and tax dodges. And so part of it is, is Ro Khanna's legislation, invest in enforcing the rules on this one-tenth of 1%. You know, right now, the IRS is more likely, four times more likely to audit somebody who's getting the earned income credit than somebody who's using one of these wealth dynasties. And that's just wrong. Um, and no wonder people hate the IRS because it's going after working people and squeezing people for a nickel as opposed, and while they're letting the super rich get away with that. 
And the Republicans will just say, oh, well, let's just close down the IRS. But we should be saying, uh, you know what? Let's strengthen the part of the IRS that, that follows the, the money. And the other thing, Senator Sanders' bill, he just outright shuts down certain kinds of dynasty trusts, the use of things like the grant or retained annuity trust. You were talking about Sheldon Adelson's favorite tax dodge. Mm-hmm. You know, just shut them down. Make them illegal. Right there, if you do those two things, enforcement and shutdown, we're we're on our way to shutting down this system. We're we're on our way to fixing this this badly broken system. Chuck, I have to shut down the show, unfortunately. Uh, Chuck Collins is director of the program uh, on inequality and the the common good at the Institute for Policy Studies and co-editor of inequality.org. He also looks at the racial wealth divide. Uh, Among his uh, previous books are Born on Third Base and Wealth and Our Commonwealth, which he wrote with Bill Gates Sr. The uh, book we've been discussing is The Wealth Hoarders, How Billionaires Pay Millions to High Trillions. It is published by Polity Books. It's been great talking with you. Thanks so much, Leonard, for a terrific conversation. Really enjoyed it. And that brings us to the end of today's show. If you're new to our program and would like to hear more, you can access past shows streaming on demand at WBAI.org. We're also available on iTunes, Spotify, and everywhere else that podcasts are available. There are also links to all of our past shows at our website, LeonardLopateAtLarge.com. And if you'd like to comment on a show or if you just want to say hello, my email address is LeonardLopate at WBAI.org. Before I sign off today, I want to make one last appeal for your support for WBAI. We need your help to keep the station alive during these very challenging times. So please step up right now to show your support by making a contribution at whatever level you're comfortable by going online to give to WBAI.org or by calling 212-209-2950. And as I mentioned at the half, if you become a BAI buddy during today's show by making a monthly contribution in the name of Leonard Lopate at Large, we would be delighted to send you a copy of the book we've been discussing, The Wealth Hoarders, How Billionaires Pay Millions to High Trillions by my guest Chuck Collins. It's our way of saying thanks for your generosity. But please be sure to make that contribution in the name of Leonard Lopate at large. And as I mentioned at the half, if you make a donation of $25 or more by the end of the day using credit card or a bank card, but it's got to be today, you'll be eligible to vote in a critical upcoming station election. I hope you'll join us tomorrow when ProPublica reporter Alec McGillis will discuss fulfillment, winning and losing in One Click America, his fascinating new book that examines income inequality in the U.S. through the lens of Amazon. We'll see you then.